the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Shoeing Company and other factors. Not a- the following program is sponsored Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Temptation, persecution, bankruptcy, moral failure. Life can be overwhelming. But I'm here to tell you that for the Christian, life need not be overwhelming. Because I'm of the conviction that if your circumstances find you in God, you will find God in your circumstances, and you will find God sufficient for those circumstances. On the surface, many Christians might not look any different than the rest of the world. We've all got the same problems and the same levels of stress and depression and anxiety. But while we can't always change our circumstances, today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy challenges us to live in the power and sufficiency of Christ. It's a call to exchange our weakness for God's strength, our disappointment for God's joy. Philip is opening to Philippians chapter 4 in a series called Life in Focus. Some of you may know of Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie. For many years, he pastored Hollywood Presbyterian, and for a time in his life, he was the chaplain to the United States Senate. He tells of a morning after a service at Hollywood Press when a dear saint of God, an elderly leader, took him by the hand, and with a piercing look, she said this to him, Pastor, I pray your life will be as wonderful as it was in the mind of God when he created you. It's a beautiful statement, isn't it? Let me say that again. Pastor, I pray your life will be as wonderful as it was in the mind of God when he created you. Striking statement. And it struck him. So after he had kind of bid his congregation farewell, he slips into his study, gets on his knees, and he asks God this question in prayer. What did you have in mind when you created me? And after several moments of just reflection and silence, A word came with clarity and conviction. Can you guess it? I'll tell you what it is. Jesus. That's the word that came to his mind. That's the answer to the question. What did you have in mind when you created me? Jesus. Because you see, God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. And according to Romans 8, it's this, that we would be conformed to the image of his dear Son that we would come out of our sin into his righteousness, out of the darkness into his light, out of a state of spiritual death into a state of spiritual life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would come to know Christ, we would come to make him known, and someday we would spend eternity with him looking very like him. Because if you read the Psalms, the psalmist says this, I long to awake in your likeness. 
The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verse 3, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when He shall appear, what? We shall be like Him. And every man that has this hope lets it change his life. That's what God has in mind for each of us. That we would come to know Jesus and that we would look like Jesus in this life because we certainly will look like Him in the next. In terms of character and holiness, we have no idea what Jesus looks like facially. That's not the point. We know that He was holy, loving, gracious, honored the Father, pure, holy. We'll become that because of His grace. What a wonderful prayer, Pastor. I pray that your life will be as wonderful as it was in the mind of God when He created you. And that's why we've been looking at Philippians. Because in this book, Paul presents to us four pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every one of these chapters, there's a section of this letter that focuses on an aspect of Jesus and how he relates to our lives. If you've been following along, you'll remember that we borrowed this outline from Norman Geisler in his book, The Survey of the New Testament. And as he broke down the book of Philippians, here's what he said, the philosophy of life, Christ our life, Philippians 1, 19 to 26. The pattern of our life, Christ our mind, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. The prize of life, Christ our goal, Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. And now, the power of life, Christ our strength, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. We've looked at the first three, Christ our life, Christ our mind, Christ our goal. Now we're coming to look at Christ our strength, a message I've called Stay Strong. Because Paul is arguing here that you and I can keep our head above water regardless of whatever the storm might be that we can be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in because Christ strengthens us by His grace. You know, if you have lived long enough, you know how overwhelming life can be. The loss of a loved one, acute disability. You may have become a victim of crime, divorce, hard decisions. As a soldier, you may be dealing with the trauma of war, temptation, persecution, bankruptcy, moral failure. Life can be overwhelming. But I'm here to tell you on the basis of the passage we're about to exposit that for the Christian life need not be overwhelming. We can be content in whatever situation we're in. We can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Because I'm of the conviction that if your circumstances find you in God, you will find God in your circumstances and you will find God sufficient for those circumstances. So let's come and look at this passage. Let's put the text in context. Let's paint in a little bit of a background which will help us see the force and freshness of these verses. Paul's writing to the Philippians and the context for him is trying circumstances. He's practicing what he's preaching here. Because the book of Philippians was written during Paul's first imprisonment. And if you read this letter, several things come to the surface very quickly. He's dealing with imprisonment and hardship because of imprisonment. He's dealing, according to chapter 1, with a smear campaign against his ministry, as others, especially it seems young ministers, are trying to fill the vacuum left by his absence, and that's jealousy and envy at work, and it's horrible. In chapter 2, he talks about how the Philippians sent Epaphroditus, and when Epaphroditus came, he almost died, and Paul almost lost him, and that would have been sorrow upon sorrow, but God allowed Epaphroditus to live. But as you get a flavor, you know, Paul's not on a vacation kicking his feet up on the beach. 
These are trying circumstances. In fact, he tells us in chapter 1, he's not sure if he'll survive them. Although he has this hope, by the prayer of the Philippians and the strengthen of the Holy Spirit, he may be delivered. So let's come and look at this wonderful section because Paul is telling us that regardless of his circumstances, Jesus is enough. Now, there's three things. Number one, his appreciation. Number two, his adaptability. And number three, his ability. Verse 10, his appreciation. Verses 11 and 12, his adaptability. And verse 13, his ability. Now, before I just dive into it, Paul can have advocated for a holy discontentment. And now he's arguing for a holy contentment. May we be as brave enough as to ask Paul, don't you want to make your mind up, Paul? Which one is it? Is it a holy discontentment or is it a holy contentment? Well, I think there's an answer to that, and those things are not in competition. When it comes to our circumstances, when it comes to the what and the where of our lives, we should be content within the providence of God until He gives us an ability to change it. So when it comes to the what and the where of life, contentment, when it comes to the who, discontentment. We should be happy with where we're at in terms of our circumstances, believing that all things will work together for good. But when it comes to our walk with God, we're not happy. We're not satisfied. We're discontent. We want more of Jesus. We want to be more holy, more prayerful, more faithful. So that's the contrast. Holy discontentment in our walk with God. Holy contentment in our circumstances. So let's look at the passage. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord greatly because of the Philippians' care. And he's appreciative of their care. They had sent Epaphroditus, according to chapter 2 and verse 30, to minister to Paul's need and to fulfill a promise that they seemed to have made to Paul that they would be there for him when he needed them to be there. Now, for some time, they haven't been able to minister to Paul because according to chapter 4 and verse 10, they have lacked an opportunity to do that. According to verse 16 of chapter 4, in the past they had ministered to him once and again. On many occasions, their love for Paul was deep and their love for Paul was long. And for a time they haven't been able to minister to him for whatever reason why. But all of a sudden, an opportunity has arisen. Epaphroditus is available. They have the means to meet Paul's need. And off Epaphroditus goes to Rome and he ministers to Paul. And Paul sends him back after he's recovered from his illness with this letter saying, thank you. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, he begins the letter with thanks, doesn't he? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then as he closes up the letter, he spends time thanking them for the love that they have for him and the fact that it has flourished again. So here we have what I call his appreciation. And their love for him is deep, and their love for him is long, and now they're showing it once again. Now before we move on, it is worth just spending a little bit of time on that phrase, your care for me has flourished again. Now, I don't have any green fingers I pay a guy to cut my grass and tear curb my lawn. I'm a city boy. I like concrete. But if you've got the green fingers, you like working in your garden, and maybe you've come from an agricultural background, born on a farm or something, this is your word. The word flourished here is the Greek word for trees that are changing their color as the season changes. So we're going from winter to spring. So Paul is saying here, look, 
for whatever reason that you couldn't minister to me because you lacked opportunity. And your love for me in a practical way has lay dormant. And I haven't seen it for a while. I do thank you that recently it has flowered again. And it's a beautiful picture. He was under house arrest. His movement was limited. He was in need. He had necessities. And yet into his winter comes spring in the form of the love of the Philippian church. Paul is kind of saying, thank you for bringing a little bit of spring into my winter. And you and I want to be that kind of person. There's people in our lives and in our families and our workplaces and across the cubicle in the office who are going through a winter. And you know what? Could you bring a little bit of spring? Minister to them with a kind word, a practical act. I love the words of Helen Keller. Tremendous woman. Here's what she says in her autobiography about friends and people that are a blessing. I love the language. Listen to the language here. Those are red letter days in our lives when we meet people who thrill us like a fine poem. People whose handshake is a brim full of unspoken sympathy and whose sweet and rich natures impart to our eager, impatient spirits a wonderful restfulness, which in its essence is divine. The perplexities and irritations and worries that have absorbed us pass like unpleasant dreams, and we wake to see with new eyes and hear with new ears the beauty and the harmony of God's world. She's describing someone that comes into your life or enters a room and just changes the atmosphere. Paul's describing that here in Philippians 4, verse 10, where they brought spring to his winter. Before we leave that, I want to be challenged by that. I want you to be challenged by that. As I just reflected on verse 10, I wrote four things down to challenge myself and to challenge you. Number one, you and I have got to learn to care for others who need our care regardless of our circumstances. Because if you read 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2, the churches in Macedonia were poor, but they give out of their poverty to the churches in Jerusalem. And here again, in their poverty, they're giving to Paul. And the challenge of that is what? You and I ought to care for people who need our care regardless of our circumstances. Number two, we've got to actively look for opportunities. Paul acknowledges that they lacked opportunity. They would have got in there quicker if they had been able to get in there quicker, but they couldn't get in there quicker because they lacked opportunity. And you and I need to actively look for people that need our care, and we need to care for them quickly. Number three, and we need to do that in following the impulses of Calvary love and the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get feely touchy, but I think it's true to say within the providence of God, I've found it to be true in my own life. I've followed it through, and at times I've regretted I haven't followed it through, where I wake up a particular morning or a particular point in the day, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, someone comes to my heart and to my mind, and it stays with me all day. Someone I know that might need something or that I could be a blessing to, or the church could be a blessing to. I've got to conclude, you know, that's the impulse of Calvary love. That's the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And we need to follow through on that. The church at Philippi thought about Paul often, and when God led him on their heart, they moved and responded to that impulse to meet the need of another. And then just finally, just writing these down, I think they're the implications of the text. Remember, it's not one and you're done. 
because we read of the Philippians concerning sharing and giving and receiving, they give once and again, verse 16, to Paul's necessities. They weren't one and done. They were in it for the long haul. This was deep and it was long. They helped them once and they helped them again. And we need to be challenged by all of that. Now let's move on to his adoptability. His adoptability. This is verses 11 and 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Ever the pastor, Paul now uses this occasion of their renewed love for him to teach them something about the gospel. Now, this section has been called by some commentators the thankless thanks, because he seems to thank them and then kind of says, I really didn't need your help. So it's like thankless thanks. But I think that's to misread the text. Paul is thankful for their renewed concern. I think he's admitting, like he does in verse 15, 16, and 17, that they had ministered to his necessities before. Implication is, and now you're doing it again. He did have a need, and they ministered to that need, and he's thankful for that. But in another way, ever the pastor, he says, I want you to know that I didn't covet your gift, It isn't the thing that makes me happy. It isn't the ground of my contentment. Thankful for it. But here, ever the pastor, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you your gift or not your gift. I've learned that there's a secret to contentment that's not tied to what you get or what you don't get. The secret to contentment is that Jesus is enough and He indwells us through the Spirit, and He brings grace to our lives day by day, and that never changes even if the circumstances do. So this is what I call His adaptability. Paul pivots to preach the all-sufficiency of Christ. Paul wants them to know that he's not dependent upon their gift or anyone else's gift for his contentment, sense of peace, or enjoyment of life. Because he told us, doesn't he, in chapter 4, verse 4, "'Rejoice in the Lord.'" Always, and again I say, rejoice. He's got a peace that passes all understanding. And he's got a contentment that's not determined by the circumstances. And it's all related to the fact that he can rejoice in the Lord every day and in every way. And the Lord gives him a peace despite his trouble and a contentment despite his circumstances. This is the secret to his adaptability. And so he is thankful for their gift. He wants them, I would think, in some way to know, look, don't feel bad about the fact that it was a while before you ministered to me. I don't want you to feel bad about that because you need to know, I'm thankful for it, but I would have been okay without it because Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. And so can I use this as an opportunity to challenge you to follow me in finding contentment in whatever circumstance you're in. In fact, here's an interesting thought. If you look at verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What's Paul saying there? Here's what Paul's saying. In some ways, I'm actually more excited about what the gift will do for you than what it did for me. Now, he's admitting here he's enjoying, experiencing, and expressing contentment. So we want to step back and say, hey, where do you get this triumphant adaptability? Paul, what's the secret? 
How do you do this? Well, there's several things about his contentment. It's dynamic, it's developed, and it's divine. Let's work through that quickly. It's dynamic. What do I mean by that is it's an old Tyrian kind of contentment. Because he tells us here, I have learned to be content whatever the state. Life, death, poverty, plenty, good, bad. I've learned to deal with it all. And I remain the same when it's a good Monday and it's a bad Tuesday. In fact, look what he says to just reinforce that. Look at verse 12. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be content. This is dynamic, isn't it? It's not produced by good times or bad times. It's produced by the abiding presence of Christ within. And Paul's lived on both sides of life. Before he came to Christ, he was a man of stature, power within the Jewish community. He was raised in a rich Jewish home. He was schooled in one of Israel's best theological academies. I would assume he enjoyed the finer things of life. He was on the up and up. But he tells us in Philippians 3, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and determined that he was the greatest thing a man could have and know, he counted everything else but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he did lose everything. He lost friends, heritage, family. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's naked. Read about it in 2 Corinthians 11. He knows he's lived on both sides of this. But he's able to thrive and survive in all kinds of circumstances. Why? Because biblical contentment, biblical joy, biblical peace is an inside-out thing. It is not circumstantial. And it is not contingent. Because let's be honest, myself included, too much of our contentment is contingent on the business doing well, on stability, on a good doctor's report, on obedient children, on a good marriage, in a ministry that's growing. But Paul's contentment is not contingent upon anything other than union with Jesus Christ, abiding in the Lord, Because contentment is the fruit of abiding in Jesus Christ, according to John 15, verses 1 to 8. It's a great thought. It's not contingent, but we make it contingent. I would be happy if, Lord, if this will just change, I I know I can get to a better place. And the Lord's saying, why do you have to wait till then? Can you not learn to be content in whatever circumstance you are? That's what Paul is teaching us here. Contentment isn't elusive when we draw near to Jesus Christ. That's Philip DeCourcy kicking off another powerful and practical message in his Life in Focus series here on Know the Truth. You can catch earlier messages in this study when you listen online at ktt.org. And on our website, look for this month's free resource, a CD message from Philip titled, Why Does God Allow Us to Suffer? Philip doesn't offer pat answers, but a solidly biblical response to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. You can also request the free CD message when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. Online, you can also support this nonprofit ministry with a financial gift. After all, we couldn't be here without the generous donations of friends like you. We're an entirely listener-supported ministry, and all your gifts go to create, produce, and distribute this daily Bible teaching broadcast. We can't thank you enough for having the vision to send God's truth to people in your city and cities across the country. 
Now, today, when you give a one-time gift or sign up to become a monthly Truth Ambassador, Philip wants to send you a book to expand your view of God. Authored by J.D. Greer, Not God Enough is an important resource for getting an accurate look at the majesty and sufficiency of God. When our God is big, our problems and concerns are brought down to size. Don't miss receiving your copy of Not God Enough. Request the book when you support the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. Online at ktt.org or give us a call at 888-644-8811 or write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. So glad you tuned in today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow when Philip delivers a powerful close to our study in Philippians. We're learning more about the secret to contentment Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Your story of faith and spiritual growth is important. This is WAVA General Manager Tom Moyer. Here at WAVA, we're very interested in hearing how the radio station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. It's our hope and prayer that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family and circle of influence. It may be an encouraging word on a difficult day or a timely message that addresses a need in your life. We would love for you to tell us how WAVA has influenced your life in the past and is influencing you now. Here's what we're asking you to do. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story, record your video message on a camera or a mobile device, and share your story with us. And for simply sharing your impact story with us, you'll automatically be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. You have until October 23rd to share your story, so do it today. Go to WAVA.com, use the keyword story for all the details on how to share your video. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story. And thank you. Darren Collin. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.